Listen up, it's the Speakeasy with Annie Madden and Carla Trelaw. Conversations in the margins. A comfortable space for uncomfortable topics. So Annie, we're back in the studio for Speakeasy. Recording lots of great content for people to listen to while we're all kind of locked away. Yes. Um, today we get to talk about sex and drugs, hey? Sex and drugs. So in the, in the studio, we've got Dr. Karen Drysdale from the Centre for Social Research and Health. Welcome, Karen. Thank you very much for having me here. So we're going to get in and talk about um, this sex lecture and, and the work that, that goes behind it. Karen, what were the main points raised in this lecture? What did we tell people? Well, Max um, delivered the formal part of the lecture um, for the event and it was uh, a really fascinating review of the way that um, this notion of drug-enhanced sexual activity has been traditionally approached by public health that has really focused on um, individual uh, uh, behaviours, individual risk one of the things that Max brought out really beautifully was the fact that this is a really limiting way of approaching what is in essence a very collective and social phenomenon. Mm. Uh, so he drew on the approach that the project had developed, sex-based sociality, as a lens through which to examine the way that risk is um, negotiated collectively and how strategies are produced collectively to respond to these perceptions of risk. Uh, one of the things that he identified was that despite... Um, the focus in public health on HIV and hepatitis C transmission risk in uh, drug-enhanced sexual cultures, uh, the main forms of risk that, that came out of our project was the fear of addiction or the fear of um, becoming dependent to either the drug itself or to the type of sex that you could have on it. And these um, fears or these, this perception of risk overwhelmingly dictated or shaped the types of strategies that men employed so as to not get dependent on those on those things. Just before you go on to, to other things, um, I'm just interested, did it come out at all about how, uh, you know, sort of drug policy discourse might feed into some of those fears for people around, you know, becoming addicted or dependent? Um, did any of that sort of come up? Uh, no, we didn't really have time uh, within the event to trace that particular issue being quite a controversial issue as well um, and, and and just following on from the recommendations released by the ICE inquiry yeah. uh, could it be quite a controversial point to touch upon. Yeah. Um, however, it, w- it was something raised in the panel that yeah. the ongoing illegality of um, and criminalisation of drug using practices it actually contributes to stigma and discrimination against yeah. people who use yeah. substances, which means they're more likely to hide their practices um, and not seek out um, support where that support is always available, it is actually available, but there's a perception that it's not available owing to the illicit nature of substance use. I guess I was just thinking about, you know, just, you know, there is other research, of course, around around just the sort of the way that messaging happens and drug policy, you know, that the way sort of things are discussed, I guess, um, can really heighten people's fears, you know, and it just really struck me when you were talking about that, that it's interesting that that's where peop- what people were most concerned about. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the fact is that gay and bisexual men will continue to use particular substances um, mm. to enhance sex, um, regardless of the legal status. Yeah. And that's just part of the central pillars of Australia's harm reduction um, approach, isn't it? To, to support people in the choices that they make so that they, they encourage the... the optimal health outcomes. And so the, the format of the day was for Max to deliver that um, 
that lecture, uh, very nicely introduced by uh, Professor Gary Dowsett as well, who injected quite a lot of uh, humour into the proceeding <laughs> with a bit of personal reflection. <laughs> but that's worth checking out on the recording, if, if not the rest of the, the quality content. But after, after Max's lecture, it shifted over to, to you, Karen, running this panel. So do you, do you want to tell us who was on it? Sure. Um, I had the privilege of um, having uh, Leon Fernandez, uh, who has been a community advocate for um, injecting uh, drug users uh, for a long time. Uh, Joel Murray, who's currently um, in a position at ACON, but also has, has both professional and personal lived experience. And Susie Hudson, who's the director of NADA. The clinical director of NADA. Right? Clinical director of NADA, yeah. sorry. Ooh. Great group of people. Yeah. Yes. So some advocates, some lived experience, some service provision. Yes. And and what did you? Because um, it was quite an uproarious uh, discussion. What did you get them to talk about? First of all, I was hoping that they would respond from their various perspectives uh, on the content of the lecture, and I think that Leon drew attention to the problem with positioning gay and bisexual men as uh, undisciplined subjects or crystal methamphetamine as a wicked drug. Yeah. That was, I think, um, uh, one of the first things that he drew attention to. Mm. Um, and, and that came out of what Max was talking about from the result. Yeah, I, I guess that's yeah. what I was kind of getting out of a bit earlier in a way around you know, how things are positioned, huh? Yeah. Yes. Mm. Um, but I think it was really important uh, for the panel to draw attention to not just gay and bisexual men, which is the focus of our research, but also to look at how these research findings may provide insight into other gender and sexuality diverse cultures where there's um, the combination of sex and drugs. Yeah. I think that was a really interesting perspective that all three brought um, to that conversation. And it was terrific to have that very different viewpoints in the room of, of so on. And it, it mapped on to the work that we also did in this project of producing quite what was for us an unusual outcome uh, or, or um, series of outcomes. Do you want to talk us through the, the podcast? Karen and what they're, they're attempting to do? Yeah, absolutely. I think the podcast provided the sort of um, uh, moment of creativity um, that went on to form the Sex and Drug Lecture this year. We took our findings from our project and we workshopped them with our um, partnered organisations. So we had representatives from ACON, Thorn Harbour Health, Samish and WAC into Sydney to come and help us think through these findings. And one of the things that we wanted to do was to make sure that we could get out information and resources about the sexual health and harm reduction aspects of using crystal for sex to a wide possible range of networks that men were using in. So we came up with the idea of, of producing a series of podcasts and we really wanted to privilege community and professional experience as it intersected with some of the findings from our project. So we started off with the idea of using excerpts, some really lovely quotes from some of our transcripts from gay bisexual men as stimulus, and then invited um, a range of guests to come and talk to our host, Tobin Saunders, about how those, um, that that particular data intersects with their own experiences. And so we identified three main audiences that we really wanted to appeal to with these podcasts. The first were gay bisexual men who may be thinking about using crystal methamphetamine or have started using it but weren't necessarily um, community equipped or um, service provision equipped to know about all the various strategies that exist within this longer history of, of using drugs for sex. The second audience was for people in the community who may be supporting friends and lovers who are using crystal for sex and not knowing what support services are out there for them. 
and how they can engage with those support networks. And finally, we wanted to appeal to healthcare professionals who were engaging with this phenomenon and really break down the perception of a siloed response from sexual health or harm reduction AOD and demonstrate how they can work together really effectively and, and some examples where that work has taken place to respond more holistically to this issue. Yeah, they were fun. I spent um, quite a few days locked in a little airless room with the host <laughs> and our guests and our editor just after a very long flight home from the US. So I think everything was a little bit manic <laughs> at the time, but I think what we produced at the end of it, manic um, you know, sentiments aside, was actually a really lovely series of podcasts that um, are spoken by and for community members. I think it's a really nice... Um you know, just example of different ways that you can disseminate, you know, research findings, of course, um, but also sort of going to those issues, you know, um, we all, you know, went to Professor Alison Ritter's uh, seminar the other afternoon about, you know, researchers as advocates and, and those sorts of concepts. And I just think there's some nice, um, you know, in the podcast, there are some nice examples of how research can be brought to life and be really influential in terms of perhaps, you know, policy or how services might um, reconfigure things to be, you know, more responsive um, for communities. I think it provides a safe space to talk about these things without the type of um, moral panic-inducing sensationalised reporting that we see in a lot of the media. So I think one of the greatest strengths of these podcasts is the feedback we've received from various places, uh, including overseas, that it does allow for that conversation to take place with others. This is almost a, gives a model of how to talk about this in an open, non-judgmental way. Boy, we need that so much with this particular issue, yeah? It just feels like there's nothing but that kind of sensationalist stuff, so it's really nice and refreshing to... Yeah, look, we, we wanted to make sure that we're not demonising either the men who use crystal or the drug itself, yeah. but also to demonstrate how uh, pleasure is so embedded in, into these yeah. cultures. And we need to acknowledge that, but also recognise how there's nothing static about it, that these experiences that people can have can shift and change. And so there's no one overwhelming, you know, this is a really negative thing or this is a really dangerous thing, but to just attune people into making sure that they know what, where their own experiences a lie on that continuum and what they can do then to help themselves if they decided that it's now getting a little bit problematic. You did so much work on those podcasts, Karen. I really applaud you and, and all the guests who really, you know, took the challenge mm. and, and jumped on it. And with humanity and humour and um, not letting go that, you know, this is a serious thing to talk about and it, and it can affect people's lives um, in so many ways, but really we've got to be real here and we've got to acknowledge the pleasure and the ways in which the, the social lives of men uh, are sometimes configured around the use of sex and drugs together. And, uh, you know, I just think they're brilliant. That was the approach we took with the panel as well. We really wanted them to speak about the particular experiences that gay bisexual men have in relation to using crystal for sex but also uh, the wider support mechanisms that exist within the communities and the service providers that are there um, to support them as well. Yeah. So it was great having that um, spread of expertise on the stage. And, of course, we'll put links up to the, the papers we've written so far out of that project and, of course, to the podcast and to the audio of the sex right. lecture. So there's, there's no... Um, there's no limit to the, <laughs> the things we can put up here. or well, there is, but, you know. 
There's Everyone more. will emerge from this um, self-imposed isolation with a very keen, nuanced understanding of yeah. the use of drugs for sex. <laughs> well, we wanted to have this opportunity to, to dig a bit deeper into that, to publicise the lecture and the podcast and the, and the academic papers and, um, you know, raise this as a you know, really interesting, important um, bit of work that we, we feel has, well, lots more to come, actually. We're still writing from these right. data. I was actually just going to ask, you know, what's next? Is there more from the project? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, we have lots of publications planned. Um, so maybe we'll all use this time to get cracking on those. <laughs> one of them, I'm laughing, because one of them is the one I'm working on as well, which is hit a bit of a wall, but um, <laughs> I'm sure it'll get there. We'll all get there. Thanks very much, Karen, for joining us in the studio or wherever we all are and uh, we'll, we'll put all those links up and, and hopefully get people get a lot out of them. So thanks again. Great. Thanks for having me. For more information about this podcast, our guests and upcoming episodes, head to httpcsrh.arts.unsw.edu.au.